Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, we're going to be getting into a, a newer album, one that came out just in 2023. It's the sophomore debut of Artemis. It's entitled In Real Time, and it is a Blue Note recording. So super excited to get into this. Um, interesting note about Artemis is they are an all-female ensemble. So really cool band, lots of, of great players. Max, what are you thinking about uh, about this episode? I'm looking forward to it. You know, there, there's a lot with this group that you don't expect sometimes, you know, musically speaking. And uh, most of the time it's well done and you're pleasantly surprised and a little um, enamored with their arrangements and their overall sound. And they definitely have a, a certain type of concept with this group. It's an all woman cast member you know all all women in this band and they they sort of have their own thing going and i'm glad to get into it with you on this episode um we're gonna get into some into some stuff and i'm looking forward to it yeah for sure but before we get into it max is there anything it's been a little bit since we've done an episode anything that's come up recently anything that you want to mention anything going on in kansas city give us the the max levy life update what have you been up to what's going on with you well, there's a couple things to mention. Number one, I am now award-winning. I was voted Kansas City's favorite saxophonist as part of the Jazz Ambassadors Magazine Awards. They do a poll every year, and people get to put in names, and then the top four names that are that are polled are voted on. And so, fortunately, I think you know there were there were some people that maybe had a campaign or something. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, either way, it was good to be nominated and to and to win that and um you know more to come yeah definitely congrats on that that's super awesome um our friend max or sorry zach graybill also won drumio's drummer of the year award and so i was just like man you guys are just winning all these awards um don't worry we won't let max won't let it get to his head here on the podcast um <laughs> you know but yeah, yeah. where's your we got to get you an award, Dwayne. I don't know it's what. Coming. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone's favorite uh, jazz podcast host. That'll be my award for for twenty twenty four. But hey, no, that'd yeah, be nice. that's awesome, Max. It's definitely a, a huge accomplishment. Um, you're definitely well known and well liked in the Kansas City scene. So it's cool to get that that recognition that that you deserve. Yeah, at least so far. Hopefully, I don't screw it up. I mean, uh, yeah, you're probably just one one note away from a symbol being thrown at you, and you know it could all go downhill so quickly. So just enjoy it while it lasts, for sure, Max. That is how they do it in Kansas City. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a that's a Kansas City story right there. But yeah, also anything else, Max, that you want to uh, talk about before we get into the the album? Yeah, there's one other thing which is um, a little bit of a, a a negative thing, which is we lost the pianist Les McCann. Great, great piano player, great uh, composer as well. Uh, he just passed away, and he was—I mean, he was up there in his in his eighties, I think. And he was a very soulful piano player. He was not very liked by critics. They thought he um, played too much blues, or you know, I think one critic put it that when you go to a Les McCann concert, you're watching somebody set fire to the fire station. And <laughs> that's and such he, a wild comment. That's worse than the things that we say on this podcast, Max. Right. I mean, imagine. 
but he was he was a player of the people in in my eyes, and I really dug Les McCann, and still do, of course, with with all the recordings we have. Um, and if you follow pianist Joe Alterman, he's got a great newer album dedicating uh, original compositions from Les McCann. You should check that out. I believe that's called Big Mo and Little Joe. And Les McCann was sort of Joe's mentor. So there's a lot of history there. Anyway, if you don't if you don't know Les Les McCann, or if you haven't checked him out, you know you should do the favor of checking him out. And we may get into an album of his um, later on in in an episode of the Jazz Jam. Yeah, and he also he played with um, saxophonist Eddie Harris a whole lot, and love some Eddie Harris. So there's some awesome Les yep. McCann Eddie Harris stuff. Actually, I was in just like a secondhand like some an antique shop the other day, and they had a really cool record um, section in there. And I saw the album Comment by Les McCann, uh, like a 1969 album that like has mm-hmm. a bunch of different people on it. Ron Carter's on bass, Billy Cobham's on drums, Roberta Flack is on a couple of the tunes. Uh, so I picked that up. It was only $5. So I'm excited to, it was a really clean copy of that. So I figured I had to buy it if I was there and, you know, listen to that. So I'm excited to listen to that, but yeah, definitely we'll have to get into a Les McCann album at some point soon on the podcast. That's, you know, we can't let someone, you know, we can't not remember someone in that way, just as we did when Wayne Shorter passed away. Unfortunately, last year, we'll, we'll definitely remember Les in the the same way and do a, a podcast in his honor. But that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And a $5 album of Les McCann, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be hard pressed not to pick up, pick up that. I also bought a West Montgomery album that same day. That was a really good price too. So when you're picking up West Montgomery and Les McCann in the the same day and not even at a record store, just some antique shop, that's a a good find for sure. Absolutely. Well, cool, Max. You want to go ahead and uh, let's go ahead. Actually, before we get into the album, I want to mention one thing really quickly. As our podcast grows, it's awesome to see more people listening. Um, we just ask that you like rate and review us wherever you're listening. Subscribe. Make sure that you're following us so you hear when we've got new episodes out. We're going to be coming out with lots of new episodes. We're thinking about switching up the format a little bit, not a lot, but just to make it a little bit shorter, each episode a little bit shorter, not running two hours, so it's a little bit more digestible. So definitely a lot to, to look forward to and just asking that you rate, review us, subscribe wherever you listen and yeah thanks for listening so let's get into to this album max you want to get us into the history of this album i mean it's just happened so there's not a lot of history but talk about the the band artemis a little bit and how this album came to be yeah this album was released on may 5th of 2023 so not too long ago it's a it's a newer album and i just want to make a, a quote statement you know they put it really well on their band website so i'm gonna um steal a a paragraph from that this is from artemisband.com quote three years after the release of artemis's self-titled debut album the acclaimed ensemble returns with the release of in real time a marvelous follow-up that highlights the improvisational strength of its members as well as their respective gifts as composers the album showcases a new lineup of the collective with founder or sorry with founding members pianist and musical director rini rosnes and we also have trumpeter Ingrid Jensen, bassist Noriko Ueda, and drummer Allison Miller. And they are joined by newcomers Nicole Glover on the tenor saxophone and Alexa Tarantino on alto saxophone, soprano saxophone, and flute. 
The eight-song set presents compelling originals along with choice arrangements of pieces like Slink by Lyle, Lyle Mays and Wayne Shorter's Penelope and has been receiving high praise across the board. Unquote. Yeah, I think that sums it up really well. I think that's kind of some thoughts that we have. Um, there's some awesome playing on this album, really cool compositional techniques and different songs com- like from arrangers in the band. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it, and I think they did a good job of, of summing it up there on their, their website. They put it really nicely, and you know, I just want to give a little background on the on the the leader of this group, Rini Rosness. She's a pianist and composer. She's a musical director of Artemis. Um, her full name is Irene Louise Rosness, born in March of 1962 in Saskatchewan, Canada. She began learning piano at three years old. She got interested in jazz while in high school. She studied classical piano at the University of Toronto, and then later moved to New York City. And she's played with some of the greatest jazz musicians ever, including Joe Henderson uh, in the mid-80s, along with Wayne Shorter in 1989. She's also played with the likes of trombonist J.J. Johnson uh, and performed extensively with Bobby Hutchinson and James Moody, too. Rosness is also a founding member of the San Francisco Jazz Collective, the SF Jazz Collective. She's also married to pianist Bill Sharlip, and if you don't know Bill, he's a really swinging piano player. They got married in 2007, and the two also have a piano duet album on Blue Note Records. Rosness is co-founder of the Canadian Jazz Master Awards and artistic director of, get this, the Oscar Peterson International Jazz Festival. We got a lot of great Canadian piano players, don't I we? I was going to say, just to mention the greatest piano player of all time, in my opinion, and greatest Canadian <laughs> piano player, Oscar Peterson. Yeah, uh, for sure. She's also recorded 10 albums on Blue Note and continues to perform with people like Ron Carter and, of course, her husband, Bill Charlap, in addition to performing as a band leader for groups like Artemis. I want to just you know, briefly mention her website, www.renirosness.com. If you want more information on her and what she's doing, you know, she's, she's one of the most active jazz musicians currently. Um, and she continues to kill it on the scene. Yeah. She's a fantastic pianist. I thought, I think that knowing the, the studying of classical piano is definitely interesting. You'll hear it in some of, we'll listen to some different tracks and you'll definitely hear some of that classical training come out in some of her compositions and her playing a little bit of times and we get that a lot um in modern playing you hear some stuff that's very very classically influenced and some playing that's maybe a little different than some playing of the past which is really cool so let's let's go ahead and get into the album let's get into the first song on the album which is entitled slink and this song starts out with the just the piano and the bass playing a melody before um we get these really nice and intricate woven melodies from the horns in the rhythm section and i think that's one thing that stands out to me is just how well played a lot of these melodies are and how well composed they are and we get that kind of just right off the bat this and like we were talking about with like kind of the classical feel this is not your typical jazz head it's more of a a well composed melody and um i really like what they're doing here uh we get an a section which features those woven melodies and then the B section is where the rhythm section moves to more rhythmic hits during the horn melodies. And one thing that I, I really notice here is some really nice dynamics from Miller on the drums. She's going to continue to shine throughout this album, and I, I'm really liking her dynamics on the, the B section here. 
And then we start out with a piano solo that begins with some really nice intervallic floating over the top of the rhythm section before we get in some more hard-hitting bop and chromatic lines. Uh, just really good development of, of the solo here from, from Rosnes. And then there's a really cool fast-played line by Rosnes where she uses both hands um, towards the end of the solo. And I want to listen to that specifically and see if we can envision the technique that she's using here. You're going to hear kind of interweaving both hands into the, the line here and listen for the, uh, the nice dynamic build towards the end of the, the solo. So let's take a, a quick listen to the end of Renee Rosnes' solo here on, on Slink. Yeah, yeah, and you could hear that just really waterfall quick, both hands moving down and up the, the piano there. That's really nice. I mean, that technique is, that's really good there. It's Art Tatum-esque, you know. All right, so here we go. You know I like imagery. Yeah, okay, hit me, Max. Wow, yeah, I haven't heard some Max imagery <laughs> in a while. I'm ready for it. Hit me. It's like a seizure, but they catch themselves as they're falling. So it's not like a full-on seizure, but it's it's like, you know, the constant 16th notes, the constant division. Uh, it's sort of like like you're falling down a flight of stairs, but you're doing it gracefully and with intention. Um, that's what I would say. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it definitely gives you that feeling of like we're going down, you know, that those waterfall lines down the piano. You definitely feel like you're going down. But then like like when she starts to bring it back up, you get the dynamic build towards the end of the solo, and I think that's that's really well done, um, really musical there. One other thing to mention about that, and this is a question, do you think in that moment you're hearing it more rhythmically or more melodically? Mm, that's a good question. I because think, there, I'm, I'm, well, go ahead. I think there, I it's more of a rhythmic thing than a melodic thing for me. I could say that you could play something like that. You could do it in a million different ways, right? You could do it chromatically. You could do it down all kinds of different scales, and I think it has the same effect. I think it's more of a, a rhythmic thing, and it's more of a like movement thing. Like, where are we going? We're going down the keyboard, and that makes you feel a certain way. So I think. There's a billion different ways that you could get that feeling across as far as the notes that you're playing, but I think the rhythm and kind of the dissension is what gives us that feeling there. 100%. It's rhythm. And I think that's what a lot of, let's say, developing jazz musicians or musicians in general don't grasp as well as they could, which is it's not always about the notes themselves. It's about how you put them together and how it portrays to to the band and to the audience and and how it interacts with the rhythmic uh, effect of everything that's going on and how are you interplaying with the feel and the and the uh, approach of what you're doing i think rhythm is a little underestimated sometimes and what she's doing there is she's she's pulling rhythm out from other rhythms that she's already doing and and it's getting that that effect um 
where it's, you know, like when I listen to that, I'm just constantly sort of moving my head back and forth because, because I dig what she's doing rhythmically and that's how I'm feeling it in the moment. And, and that's what's, I think that's what she purposefully wants to come across. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. I think with more, when you hear players like Renee Rosnes, who obviously is such a talented player, like yeah, like newer players, you're thinking about the notes that you're playing, right? You're like, okay, like I need to go up this scale, down this scale. I need to get from this chord to this chord, and this is how I'm going to do it. And But with players like this, they're not thinking about the notes necessarily. They're thinking about how the emotions that they're trying or what they're trying to convey. So I think here, that's it's all about the feel, and I think Max says that really well. She's not thinking about the notes that she's playing, and that's not necessarily what's super important. It's It's the feeling, the rhythm there for sure. Um, but yeah, but then they use some rhythmic, rhythmic hits from the B section to transition into the trumpet solo. And I think that's really nice. I think bringing back the, the melody there is just a, a super nice touch. And then we get into that trumpet solo. The trumpet solo has a really nice uh, range to it um, and some a really nice laid back tone, which matches the tune well. And I think that's one thing that the Artemis does really well throughout this album is just like everyone plays within the compositions really well and matches the the feel of what the song is trying to portray. And then the trumpet solo as well gets into some harder hitting lines um, towards the back end of the solo. And I really like that. And then they go back into the melody on the way out, but they play it kind of more in a march style and in like an all snare drum pattern being played the first time through the B section. And then we get a um, a much more laid back uh, backbeat groove played the second time through. And it's just really awesome touch from from Miller on the drums on this so let's take a listen to to that melody when they get back into the melody because i think it's i think it's really interesting um the melody on the way out how they play it and the different feels that we get so let's take a listen to that Yeah, so that's that's that last time through the melody, and I just really like the the feel there, and I love uh, Allison Miller on the drums. That's just so awesome. What do you what do you think about that, Max? The the melody on the the way out there. Again, it's more rhythm. Like I'm yeah. hearing da 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 da. You know, it's sort of like some of the rhythms that came out of uh, John Coltrane's quartet stuff. The bass would play. Um, you know, the rhythm section would play behind him. Yeah. And it kind of goes to show like, cause the first, when they play through the melody, like at the top, when they play through the head and then when we play through at the end, we get a completely different feel and it's all coming from the rhythm section and the way that they're treating the melody. So it kind of goes to back up Max's point. Like it's all about rhythm, you know, and you can make things feel or 
sound so different just by treating things differently, especially um, with rhythm. So, and I like this ending here. We didn't listen all the way to the end because it kind of they draw out the ending a little bit. But there's just some really nice band wide hits at the the end. And I just wanted to ask Max uh, what he thinks about that ending because we know Max can be a little particular about his ending. But Max, what do you what do you think there? This is a Max Levy approved ending. There we that's go. That's what I'll. That's say. all. It, that's yeah. all it takes. Yeah, the other thing I want to say, you know, you mentioned Allison Miller on drums. I also love the quarter note rim shots on the drums during the melody that she's doing. It's very driving and energetic, um, but it's not necessarily in your face. And also she goes into sort of a marching feel towards the end, which really helps to just, you know, tie the bow on top of the package that is this song. Yeah, yeah, I love that, that feel there. Cool. Well, let's get into the second song on the album entitled Bow and Arrow. Max, what do you think about about this second track? Well, speaking of Allison Miller, the drummer, she wrote this tune. She wrote this song, Bow and Arrow. Um, you can tell this comes from Allison also because the drums come alive on this one quite a bit, adding energy and nice dynamic movement. It begins with an almost McCoy Tyner or Coltrane vibe introduction. And then it goes into some nice syncopated horn lines, awesome cymbal playing from Allison on the drum set. It's an AABA form, a great change of feel on the bridge with a straighter snare drum pocket that comes across from Allison. And then we get into the trumpet solo that comes, you know, that comes right after the melody. Lots of nice thematic movement and use of long notes, great jumps into high notes as well. Quite stylistic playing from Ingrid Jensen on this on the solo and some nice flutters, vibrato, lip falls and all these sort of what they would call in the jazz dictionary uh, extended techniques. It's all those added things that we're doing to stylize how we're playing. And there's some nice stuff in that trumpet solo that comes comes from Ingrid. Um, and then the saxophone enters with a lingering idea from the tail end of the trumpet solo and builds an idea from it with the use of repetition. And I want us to listen to that together. That's so Coltrane-esque. That the tone, the articulation, that's so good. That's very, very musical. And it's another moment where we're passing the baton from soloist to soloist without maybe a listener realizing how how that happened. Right? It just it's a it's a endless stream from one to the next. Um, and then we also get some more great playing from the tenor solo cool squawks and screams from the tenor saxophone. Um, those are some more extended types of ideas and we should check that out together here too. Mm, yeah i love the ending of that solo you know she goes into into the screams and squawks and then right after that she does what we call triad pairs where we play you know sets of triads back to back 
and and there's a few that are commonly played um and then there are others that that we as individual players uh are used to doing in addition to those and so she does that as a transition from the screams um to the end of her solo where where she does you know some fast double time lines and she messes with her tone and it almost reminded me a little bit of wayne shorter some of the stuff she was doing and also it was reminiscent of a of another newer saxophonist melissa aldana there's some similarities between uh these two players that about how they approach a solo and then the squeaks and squawks and and some of the sound she's getting reminded me of of wayne shorter yeah another also uh james carter a little bit known for yep those extended techniques and he'll take them to the max so i was getting a little bit of that there and i think there's another point where we get some more of those same kind of uh squeaks and squawks where reminds me of of uh james a little bit as well that's right and then the the next thing that is even more intriguing is the drum solo allison miller delivers a great a great solo here on her own tune she tends to play with time and syncopated hits while there's an ostinato or continuing um sort of idea that's underneath the solo going on in the piano allison has great use of snare drum and toms and we're going to check check out you know the solo together and i also want you to listen to the cool moments of hi-hat snatches that are going on during her solo So a question to you is, did you enjoy that with the ostinato or would you have enjoyed that more or less without the ostinato going on in the piano? I like that kind of the ostinato and then kind of the out of time feel, especially when it's a drummer that's in the pocket and can be both out and then back in very seamlessly. So I enjoyed that a lot and I tend to like things like that. I think that when it's well done, it's it's really musical. I agree. I think the ostinato just gets Allison Miller to sort of play around more around that, you know, and maybe more ideas come to her if that's going on. I don't know for sure. I don't know these people personally, but it, you know, I think some of those, those really rhythmic hi-hat things that she's doing, you know, great use of the snare and the tom. I, I, I just think it, it, again, it's another moment where we're sort of putting everything together really nicely. And I think that piano adds a lot, even though it's a drum feature. Um, and then they go back into the head after that solo, really nice vibe of a tune. I also really dig the cymbal touches from Allison during the A sections of the melody. And there is a, a great slowdown or what we call a retardando that feels natural and they pull it off quite well. Great ending. That's not too complicated. And this is another max levy approved ending. Yeah. I mean, they're doing well on the ending, so they're going to gain points there. Because <laughs> if Max hears another fade out, might Max might fade out himself. So we got to yeah, really. we got to keep Max going here. So yeah, I I, I think this is a great tune. Um, definitely one that stands out to me early on the album. Really well composed, cool melody, great ideas, uh, and great solo work. So yeah, let's uh, let's move forward and 
get into the third track on the album, which is entitled Balance of Time. And this song starts out with a piano intro, which is very dark and colorful. We get a lot of um, diminished chords, and that's kind of the theme of this al- or of this song, is that dissonant, diminished um, feel. So we'll, we'll hear some of that. And so the melody comes in, and it's more of the same, more of that kind of uh, dissonance and a little bit more of a diminished vibe on the piano and then there's a moving piano line and horns playing long tones underneath in the melody and let's listen for some of kind of that that feel that I'm I'm talking about the diminished chords and the melody and how um it feels kind of dark here on the on this track balance of time Yeah, Max. Do you have a? What are your thoughts on this this melody, the the vibe that we're getting here early on in in this tune? I don't know why, but I'm it. It seems really blue note, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, that's that's a compliment, I think, um, because sometimes with blue note records of the '60s, you know, they would try to arrange some stuff like that, and that's sort of a a sound that that you remember once you you hear it a bunch and you're trying to emulate it so there, there's the blue note influence i'm getting from a lot of the albums in the 60s that that kind of had that as part of the album and at moments i'm getting almost new age or what they call third stream sounds mm-hmm. third stream is like jazz that incorporates stuff from classical music and and other genres more heavily than you would expect and so we're getting that here um, and then there's sort of that, that piano ostinato accompaniment part that, that'll come in. And that kind of reminds me of Philip Glass, if, if you're aware of him. So, yeah. And yeah, so there's a, a cool transition into a piano solo. And I think that, that it fits the theme well. It's dark and colorful, some sweeping p- uh, movement on the piano, as you might expect. And then there's a trumpet solo that's up next. And there's a nice round tone here without being too soft or reserved. So I do enjoy that. And it's not a terribly long solo, but the t- trumpet solo does add some nice texture. And then we go back into the same ominous and at times dissonant melody. Uh, the outro is very interesting. It's very spooky almost, and it features some different percussive effects. So let's take a listen to this outro because I think it is interesting um, on this track. So let's listen for that. Max, what do you think that is there? Do you think that that's... The tip of the drumstick on the cymbal to get that sound, that kind of screeching sound, or do you think that's something else? You heard what I'm talking about there? Kind of. Yeah, it's either that or maybe um, like if you pluck the string of a piano. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's what I've like heard drummers do that where they like scratch the stick yeah. on the cymbal and it gets you that screeching sound. It's interesting. Right. A cool, it's percussive, whether, you know, cause technically the piano's percussive, you know, so doing that would be, yeah. So that's uh, it's interesting there. I want to stop it and see what you think. Let's, let's keep listening. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if you're talking about that scratch, it's probably yeah. You're like you're. You, sometimes you can take the edge of the brush stick, mm. like not the side where the brushes are on, but the yeah. other side. And there's like a metal ring. Yeah. And you can sort of scratch that metal ring against the symbol, and you can get s- similar sounds. Almost nails on a chalkboard kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So I want to stop and ask you. Let's let's keep on listening. third stream like max was saying yeah definitely an, an interesting end and very much yeah it doesn't it doesn't it sounds i don't know not very much like jazz but has you know it's still jazz but it does have that kind of new age or third stream kind of sound to it it is still jazz because it's become harder and harder to uh, qualify the confines of what we traditionally know as jazz. And so when we incorporate all these other elements, there's really like nothing else to call it other than what is, you know, the word jazz. Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> and some some players, a lot of players don't even like the word jazz and they want to use other definitions and other words to describe the music that they're playing. But if we're talking about the marketplace of music and, you know, what is what is the genre and how do you sell it to people? You know, there's really no other word than than jazz. But, yeah, I would put this in the third stream category where you're incorporating so much of other types of music that the essential elements of jazz like heavy swing, uh, common uh, song forms and stuff like that really catchy melodies all of that is sort of second tier to the other elements that they're bringing in so it makes for a whole different composition or at least a whole different type of composition and and this seems to be sort of a trend i'm not sure what i think at times it seems relaxing and interesting to listen to but at other times it seems a little boring and really classically driven or oriented and sometimes that can be annoying just to me personally yeah, I definitely there's like two sides to it because I love a lot of, you know, and you can call it fusion or the way that jazz is just so encompassing of so many different kinds of music now and so many different influences on jazz now. Like I love bands like Butcher Brown that'll bring some more hip hop and R&B kind of feels into jazz. Um, but there are times where this uh, so-called third stream or like more classically influenced jazz Sometimes it doesn't do it as much for me. Sometimes it's super interesting because I, you know, love classical music. I love things that are, you know, like really well arranged and composed and have that kind of cinematic element to them. Um, but yeah, there are times where it's it's not as as appealing to me as other times. So I think it's just you got to take each song and each composition and each instance for what it is. So, yeah, we're definitely getting that kind of vibe here. They're bringing in other elements of of uh, music that aren't traditionally in jazz. And I would say it's definitely not one of my favorites on the album. So <laughs> without further ado, let's go to a song that <laughs> is one of my favorites on the album. Uh, that's the fourth tune called Lights Away From Home. It's got a great, nice swing and feel. And I just want it to be a lesson out there for folks that a modern album can have a swing tune and it can be done as seen here from the group Artemis. 
it's very possible. So don't forget about the swing. And this one is written by the bassist Noriko Ueda. I may be pronouncing that wrong, but that's more or less what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a great tune. I, 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 you know, a lot of people don't give bass players enough credit because a lot of times they're not in your face. They're not the feature. They're not playing the melody, but they are essential to the overall sound and feel of, of what the group is bringing. And a lot of times they're great composers. You know, the bassist Sam Jones has a couple of great jazz standards. Um, so that's just one example. So this is a tune from the bass player. It's a 12 bar intro at the top. And then we get an AABA 32 bar tune, which is a pretty common jazz song form. There's a quarter note feel on the B section on the bridge. That's a nice change of pace. And then the piano solo comes first straight ahead, walking and feel from the bass and rhythm section. That's nice. And that's a relief because of the last song was a lot of the opposite. Yep. So here, you know, and that's the other lesson about curation of an album. Like, how do you order the songs, you know, one after the other in a way that's interesting? And this does that because it's it's more in the pocket and straight ahead a lot more than the previous tune. Yeah, and I think that's one of my biggest issues with Balance of Time. It just feels like it's just jammed in between two tracks, and it doesn't feel like it's in place there. I don't hate the song. But it's just like it feels so weirdly placed in the album. It feels like it's just jammed in between two really awesome, hard-hitting tunes. So, yeah, that's well, weird it's, to me. It, yeah, it's like where do you put it? And yeah. and you could there's a lot of debate. Do you put it more in the in the beginning of the album because then you get through it faster, or do you put it towards the end because it's a little more interesting or different than the others, and and you get the listener's attention back? You know, there, there's a lot of ways you could go about it. Yeah, and it's yeah, they definitely yeah, they take you through a couple 180s. They're like, we're going this way, we're <laughs> right. going back this way, but then we're going back to this. So, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's interesting, but I think that's for me, I don't know if I fully understand it, but let's let's keep talking about uh Lights Away From Home. Yeah, and that's what makes this song such a relief and 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 more fun, I think. There's great lines and feel from Rini Rosnes's solo. I want uh, us to listen to to just a snippet of it. Uh, listen for the use of her left hand in particular. It's not too much, but it becomes useful towards the end of her solo. And she also has a great line where I think she's accenting a note with the left hand as she goes up the piano with the right hand. Like the left hand is over the right hand, sort of, sort of ahead of it. You know, maybe she's changing her hand position or something. But it's a really interesting and, and cool technique of what she's doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, she's almost... You know, like, I, I can picture her sort of moving her... Yeah, she might be kind of, like, weaving in, like, both hands kind of together to play that line. It's it's a really cool t technique there. Right. I also love how rhythmic she is towards the end of her solo. She seems to be um, doing this a lot. And this is sort of a trend amongst piano players to play with more rhythm as they're ending their solos rather than the beginning beginning they're more melodic or they're you know they're really thinking about how they approach the harmony and then towards the end they get more rhythmic with their solo we also get the soprano saxophone solo next accompanied with rhythm section hits that occurred during the head which makes for a nice change of pace and interesting accompaniment 
I also think the tone of the soprano is quite nice and warm, a very easygoing and easy to listen to tone and sound. A lot of times the soprano saxophone can come across a tad shrill or too bright and slightly sharp. Here we get a nice warm sound that I want us to listen to. I think Max uh, put in the wrong. Oh, no. Did I goof? You goofed. Max is uh, <laughs> is the first I goof. I think we're listening to. Let's listen to this because this is actually something I wanted to listen to. This is the end okay. of the piano solo. And I wanted to point out that there's some really nice McCoy Tyner-esque left hand comping towards the end of the piano solo. Did you mean? Yeah, I don't know what you, you meant to say. Well, yeah, let's listen to this because I think it's a really cool okay. section. Um, we're gonna we're gonna listen. Max goofed a little bit, but um, yeah, let's listen to this this the end of the piano solo here. And listen for that left hand. conveniently led right into the the soprano that max was actually talking about there <laughs> see i wasn't too far off yeah 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 max put the wrong timestamp in on the the notes so that's what happened there but yeah i do really like that sound it's very very nice yeah it's a great soprano sound a lot of times it's you can get really bright or or sharp on the soprano you know and uh coltrane has his particular soprano sound james carter kind of has his particular soprano sound wayne shorter has his own soprano sound and this is somewhere in the middle of all those and it's really warm and and it just i was really surprised at how well um i liked that soprano i mean i wasn't I, i haven't listened to alexa too too much um, so that was a nice surprise. And that's what one of the things I was getting at earlier when when we started the episode. You know, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is a great soprano sound. Yeah. And, and, and a swing and it's, solo it's a, as well. Like really well played. Yeah. Swing and solo. Alexa Tarantino's great. Nice lip falls there at the end of, of certain phrases that she's doing. Little things that are used effectively in the solo. She also tends to play a bit with rhythm and has a lot of use of space in her solo, which she takes advantage of here. Also great use of range and high notes, low notes played all over the place. You know, awesome, awesome job on the soprano solo. And then following that, we get the uh, tenor sax solo from Nicole Glover. She begins with an idea that works really well with the tail end of Alexa's soprano solo. And I may have the timestamp wrong on this one, too. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what we get. But <laughs> we're going to assume Max is right on this. And let's listen for how they, they transition the, the solos here from the, the soprano to the tenor. Ah. That's so cool. It's almost like she finished her thought. It's like it's the same person. 
Yeah, that was so cool. I, can we listen to that again? Listen to Absolutely. Listen to that and listen, it's almost like she like um Alexa stopped playing, but then Nicole was like, "Hold on, I'm going to finish that thought. Like you weren't done with what you were saying. Let's let's listen to that again. That was really cool." Yeah, that's really awesome. That's super musical. You know, like when you have a, a really great husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend or, you know, w- w- you and your significant other, um, they like to say you finish each other's sentences sometimes. And that's exactly what uh, Nicole Glover did to Alexa Tarantino solo. She finished her last phrase. It's like finishing a sentence from one person to the next. Yeah, that's awesome chemistry. And that's Something that I notice continually with this recording in this band, it seems like there's just really great chemistry. I'd love to see them them live because it seems like they play so well together. Absolutely. Nicole goes on to play more great language in her tenor solo. I will say I feel like I got more from the soprano solo, but I'm not entirely sure why I feel that way, other than, of course, the pleasant surprise of, of how great her tone was. And I do think some of her ideas are just a little bit more organic and surprising. Um, Nicole Glover may be a little bit predictable, but she plays a great solo as well. Um, So it's just sort of less expected lines I'm getting from the soprano solo. We also get a great bass solo from Noriko. Nice transition from the saxophone to the bass. All solo transitions on this track are seamless, and that's what we keep pounding about this track. We're getting nice energy and melodic movement from the bass, and pay attention to the articulation of the eighth notes especially. They're very precise, clear, and they swing. The AABA head out after the bass solo occurs, like the beginning but without the intro, and they just start with a horn melody and then play the intro as the outro, that leads into the horn hits and the final statement to end it with a final chord. Nice arrangement, great ending, great transitions from solo to solo. Um, that, that that This one stands out to me really well. Yeah, I just love this tune. I love the swing feel, a modern swing feel. Really well composed, great. I mean, just every element of this track is, is really nice, and it's a, a track that really stands out early in, in the album. But let's move on to the next track on the album entitled Timber. Um, another somewhat out there intro, but I enjoy the creative license that they're taking here. It's tasteful. It's not overdone here. And they definitely take their time getting into the groove, but it feels like they have something to say. So I'm not bothered by it. It doesn't feel like they're just, I mean, I hate to bring this up, but uh, the final track of Seventh wonder by Emmanuel Wilkins it feels like they're just taking a lot of time to say nothing um that track is 23 minutes long but here it seems like they're taking their time getting to the point but they're saying something so I I enjoy that um and there's a really cool 7-4 groove go ahead Max I was just gonna say the beginning reminds me of sort of a Kandinsky or a Jackson Pollock painting and it's just sort of jumbled together but it makes sense uh compositionally when in context of what's coming coming next and you're right it says a lot more than what you would initially think when you're first listening to it yeah and i think that it it's nice it kind of is great contrast when it then settles into the groove and what's cool about this song is it's a seven four groove once they get into the melody and i think that's super unique um 
different time signatures here. Uh, and I really like the horns and the rhythm section playing the same line underneath repeatedly. It's really cool how they build the melody part by part. I want to take a listen for this. And I also want you to kind of key in on the bass playing here because I think, uh, what's Noriko? I think the bass playing here by Noriko is, is super, super well done. So let's take a listen. It's going to be a little bit of a longer clip, but let's, let's take a listen because I think this melody is super, super awesome. Yeah, I think that's super cool. I mean, Noriko's just going off on the bass. I mean, it's just so, it's almost like she's, I don't know, playing like a mini melodic solo um, in that melody there. I think it's super cool. Yeah, and it sort of layers as it continues. And I like that effect. And you don't really catch that maybe the first time you check it out. But listen for that layering that sort of happens and the intensity grows. And there's a lot that says... Uh, or sorry, there's a lot that comes across the more it continues. Yeah, I think it's super awesome. I think it does a great job of building dynamics as we start to pick up more parts and more pieces to the puzzle. And at the end there, it just feels like we're really, really moving towards something. So I really, I really dig that. The feel, the groove, the melody there, I think that's super well done and super well composed. Um, and then they alternate through short solos, which are all super solid. I like the way that they t play a tag at the end of each solo that leads into the next. And I particularly enjoy the tenor solo. There's some really nice intervallic movement that develops into some fast moving lines. And I want us to take a listen for that. So kind of listen to how we're starting with these intervals being played, but then we're developing into some more faster, faster moving lines. So let's take a listen here. And there's that little tag at the end. Yeah, and also the 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 tone of the tenor sax from Nicole Glover matches really well with what's going on. You know, it's a little bit more modern than than how I would play, but it it fits and it sort of melds into everything else that's going around it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think yeah, it's just a a cool, unique tune. It's different than a lot of other tunes that I've I've heard. And then they play, um, they trade during one of the solo sections, which is super fun touch. And then they go into kind of a moment of collective improv, which I think is pretty cool. And then the last time through, the melody really features the drums, which drive 
to the end of the tune where the groove kind of devolves and the horns are just left blowing air through their horns. Uh, it's a very cool and unique um, song, and I like getting a tune in seven. So definitely way different, cool tune here uh, on this album. Absolutely. And uh, to, to contrast it with a song like Balance of Time, I think this one, you know, a lot like the previous tune, uh, really hits it out of the park. And, and it does some really nice things that, again, you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, and, it's, and it's well done. After that, we get the next track on the album called Whirlwind. This is written by Alexa Tarantino. It begins with a loose feel and a lack of defined tempo or beat. We've been getting this more in, in some modern jazz lately. It's sort of like free jazz, but not free jazz. We are we are playing together, but it's a very, very loose feel. And we're sort of listening to each other before we go into a, a well-defined tempo or, or time feel that would be established by the drums and bass. Um, and also the beginning swooshes of the piano remind me of, of sort of falling into a deep sleep and drifting away into a far-off mysterious land. There's that imagery again. Uh, we also get a horn melody after that with nice blendings, uh, sorry, nice blending of the horns filled with quite a few leaps, and then a final chord held out by the horns that goes into a well-defined beat and a clear 3-4 feel, and I love listening to the bass playing, um, those really repetitive notes out of time. And I want us to check that out here. Listen for the cymbal splash as well. And that splash is right when they go into time. Yep. So so that's where they're they're getting that sort of loose feel. They're together, but there's not a, a, a an in your face time feel. And then we get an eight bar intro before the actual form hits. The melody comes in. There's a nice call and response between the trumpet and saxophone versus the flute. The flute answers those opening one bar phrases. It's quite catchy. We get that sort of call and response effects from the horns. I'm also getting a 20-bar form with a through-composed melody, and there's moments of repetition here during the head, and that's how I'm thinking about the song form. We get the first solo, which is the flute from Alexa. She begins nice and mellow with a cool use of grace notes and vibrato. I think, uh, she, you know, using trill keys, and she builds nicely into higher notes and busier lines. Great use of trills. It points to the idea that when playing multiple instruments, you should treat each instrument a bit differently and gear your playing towards the instrument-specific strengths and sounds. Flute trills, along with fast up-and-down swooshes, are common sort of flute-isms, and she's really pulling that off 
and and she's doing that here. I want us to listen to that together, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Oh, yeah. I definitely... All, both of those things you're talking about, you hear them right there. Right. They're very fluty moments. Um, and, and that's a lesson. You know, if you're a doubler and, you, and you're playing multiple instruments in a setting and you have improvisation mixed in, you know, it's different than playing a show like you're in the orchestra pit playing for a musical where there's written parts and you have two bars or two measures to switch from one instrument to the next. <laughs> and, and you have to play the part as written in a weird key because the key centers are made for singers rather than, than the instrumentalists. And I'm sort of ranting here because I've been say, in that situation. Going, <laughs> <laughs> I've been in that annoying situation. Um, but here we're, we're in an improvisational context. And so, you sort of do the same thing where you're treating, you know, you're playing multiple instruments, but you want to sort of bring out those specific effects that each instrument is known for when you're improvising with those different instruments. It would be sort of like different sounds on the keyboard. Um, but, you know, it just comes out more in your face here because she's doing a lot of flute tendencies while playing the flute. And that that's, you know, Play the flute. You're not trying to play saxophone on the flute. You're playing the flute, and that's what she's doing. Yeah, I think that, she, that that's a great point there, Max. And I kind of relate to that um, as being a keyboardist and mostly being an organist. The way that you would approach comping and playing and everything as an organist versus if I were to have to play piano or different keyboards. It's definitely, there's just different techniques, and you don't want to play the organist like a pianist that's not you know you play it like an organ because it is an organ that's right uh she also has a tremendous ability to repeat ideas here in a way that makes sense and is always moving in her solo nice use of repetition we then get the tenor sax solo from nicole she delivers a nicely uh, she delivers nicely towards the end of her solo where energy builds and the drums become more involved and it results in taking us to another more intense spot on this musical journey. Let's check it out together. It's really nicely done. nice feel there yeah she brought it up the energy and then she brought it down and then brings it up more again and that's where the drums really become more energized behind her and really nice trill to end the solo as well a lot of movement a lot of dynamic movement in particular and and that comes across really nicely we then get a key solo next again there's nice use of left hand and great phrasing that Rini Rosnes is doing Nice rolling line at 446 to 454. 
The backgrounds enter as well from the horns, reminiscent of the opening idea before the defined time and melody had entered. Then the bass solo with great feel and lines, cool stabbing accompaniment at times from the piano as well. The bass sound is clear and very acoustic and natural too, which you don't always get. Sometimes the 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 tone of the bass doesn't doesn't come across as well or as natural as a player would like. And here I think it does. And so that's a testament to you know the 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 audio engineering people and the bass player and and all the things that go into the recording of 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 a of an album like this. Then we get the melody back in. It seems like only 16 bars or so, and then a slowdown to the final chord with a snippet of time playing going on before the final sound. Let's check it out. It's a really neat ending. They're knocking it out of the park with these endings. Yeah. So there you go. Nothing crazy, but it's thoughtful. Right. And then we get the seventh track on the album, Empress Afternoon. Dwayne, what do you think about this one? Yeah, and this song is a, a really cool track. Um, it comes in pressing with the entire band playing the melody collectively. And it has a really, really nice groove from uh, Allison Miller on the drums. And there's a cool mean, uh, sorry, cool mini piano solo kind of built into the melody. And then I love the drum feature before the whole band plays the melody together, including the drums. Now let's take a listen to that. Um, this is the melody on Empress Afternoon, or a part of it. That's really cool. Yeah, you could kind of hear the end of that little piano feature, which is in the middle of the melody. And then you hear kind of that drum feature, and then they're all playing the melody together, including Allison Miller on the drums at the end there. They're all playing the rhythm exactly together uh, there into the, the, the solo there, which is super cool. The interplay between the drums and everyone else is really fun. And I like how they did that. And, and it's, it's, it's just a fun arrangement of a, of a, an original composition that you know it put a smile on my face and i like that yeah i totally agree i think it's uh super cool and then we get into a, a saxo that starts us out that i really like the the gusto of this uh saxo not afraid to use some different extended techniques um like max had mentioned some playing reminiscent of coltrane and some james carter-esque techniques here again those extended techniques are really coming out um, and then the piano solo is really nice and it's ever evolving. We get lots of energy here, which I love, um, really drives the rhythm section forward during the piano solo. And then I love the drum feature out of the piano solo and into the next sax solo, which is another great solo with some really nice comping work from the rhythm section. I think the rhythm section really stands out to me on this tune features them a lot. And then we get a 
uh, a trumpet solo, which also gives us a lot. The rhythm section continues to push us forward, which is really nice. And this culminates in the, the drum solo, which is a great feature here on this tune. Some really nice elements of Blakey-esque playing. And then they go back into the melody that features those drum trades again. And then they end on that all together melody. And I think this is a really awesome track and one that really stands out to me here. Absolutely. And I love the drum solo. The also, also the entrance of the alto sax solo, which you were getting at, um, she's doing a high note with some little trills. It, it incorporates great high energy. And that's what this song provides. Empress Afternoon provides us with energy. And I dig that. Yeah, and I didn't put too many listening examples, but I think this one's worth going and just listening to the entire tune. There's a lot, like, it would have been a lot to listen to some, because I probably would have wanted to listen to some of each solo here. Just give this whole tune a listen, because I think it's really well done from start to finish. The drum solo is really nice. So just go ahead and listen to the whole thing. We don't need to to play 17 <laughs> different examples of why this song is, is really cool. Yeah, the recommended snippet is from beginning to end yeah exactly zero 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 uh, to whenever you know however long the song is to 534 there you go there it is then we get the last track on the album wayne shorter's penelope uh this tune has uh, a sort of miles-esque vibe to it or beginning it starts with muted trumpet and piano to begin with a sort of ominous opening it's got nice, bold, low notes from the keys acting as pedal tones underneath the trumpet, flourishings that are going on, and then the piano adds more. We get a ballad tempo. We're talking about a real ballad here. We're somewhere around 54 beats per minute. It's an AABA eight-bar section tune, three-four time. Do you think they like playing in three, Dwayne? I think they do, and I think that, like... <laughs> Max said, you know, ballad tempo 54, it's like a real dragger of a tempo. And I think this is another spot where it's like the curation of this album, because this is the last track and it's just feels weird to end with this tune. It's a cool tune. I like it, but it's just Empress Afternoon left so much more of an impression on me than what we're getting here. But let's keep talking about this track and we can uh, air our grievances later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting to listen to the drums on this track while the tenor solo is happening. I want us to check that out together. Just just listen for how Allison Miller is, is sort of complimenting everything going on. She really is adding a lot behind what's going on in the solo there. Right? You know, they're, they're really interplaying with one another, and that's a really neat aspect to this track, Penelope. Great f free sort of feel on the solo, but it's still, you know, in time. Only the tenor sax gets a real solo here. I'm guessing that's because it's a Wayne Shorter tune, and 
Wayne played tenor sax as well as soprano. But here, you know, we're, we're sort of dedicating this to Wayne Shorter and his overall effect on the music. The trumpet and the melody comes back in on the bridge. Then they play a last A section to a mellow ending with lingering sounds from the horns and piano. I also dig the cymbal playing of drummer Allison Miller on that ending. She really just seems to add a ton to this track and, and a lot of the other songs on this album. She's really fun to listen to, and that's why some of these songs like this one speak a little bit more because of everything Allison Miller is giving to the music uh, behind soloists in in addition to what she does during melodies and solo transitions and her own solos i think allison miller is a real real bright spot on this album i totally agree with that and i'd say the entire rhythm section is really interesting to listen to and we'll we'll get into our overall thoughts a little bit more here in a minute but i think that yeah even spots where the album doesn't do as much for me as other spots there's still some really bright moments and things to listen to from each one of the the members of the rhythm section, especially Allison Miller. Absolutely. And I want to reiterate your, your earlier point, which is to say, I don't think this should be the last track to the album. I think Empress Afternoon would be a great ending track. I don't know why this one is at the end, other than maybe it's because, you know, we recently lost Wayne Shorter, especially at the time of the release so it's sort of a dedication to him, maybe, and that's how we should end the album as as an ode or an homage to the passing of one of the great jazz uh, composers and saxophonists and just great, you know, jazz people. Um, so maybe that's they're thinking on that. But I would have put this somewhere else on the album on the album, maybe, you know, middle or or maybe the third track or or something like that. And and you know, just recurate some of the order of the, of the tracks on the album. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, Max. And that's, you know, I don't, yeah, I like a lot of the tracks, but it seems like, yeah, there's some interesting choices and you know, who's to question blue note and Artemis. But, uh, to me, it just, I feel like I would be more in, interested if it were maybe flowed in a, a different order but let's get into our 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 top threes and our not so hot tracks for for this album max let's let you go ahead and go first on your top three well as listeners can maybe tell we definitely have some tracks on here that we like more than others (laughs) so it was between you know an obvious three or four that i liked and so i had to put those in order according to certain things i personally dig or appreciated so my number one is lights away from home I really think that hit home, no pun intended, some some great ideas, uh, great solos. Number two is Empress Afternoon, high energy. I love the arrangements, great stuff. And then number three is the track Bow and Arrow. So those are my top three. And then I do have a Not So Hot, which is, of course, Balance of Time. It was the third stream tune that really sort of bored me after a minute and a half. Yeah, I definitely can understand that. My uh, top three is similar. I think all the same tracks, just in a different order. Uh, my number one track is Bow and Arrow. I just love kind of this Coltrane quartet feeling, um, the kind of modal composition. I think it's a super intriguing tune. The solos are great. There's just nothing bad to say about that tune. It's really awesome. It's really interesting. 
Uh, my second track on my top three is Lights Away From Home, a really refreshing swing tune, modern swing tune. Great solos again, really awesome. And then uh, my third track is Empress Afternoon. We just kind of talked about it. Um, really awesome rhythm section stuff and really cool compositional techniques on Empress Afternoon. And then mine, not so hot. I could have said Balance of Time. I had a couple in mind. Um, and we'll talk about that in our overall thoughts. Um, I had a couple things in mind, but I went with Whirlwind because it's one of the spots in the album. It's not a bad tune, but it's just one of the spots when listening to the entire album that I found myself not being as intrigued, maybe checking out a little bit. Um, maybe it's where it is in the album, but then they kind of, we get brought back with some awesome tunes after that. But Whirlwind is just one that just didn't seem to intrigue me like some of the other tunes on the album. And that, that could probably be said, be said for a couple of tunes, um, on the album. So that was my personal, one of, not so hot. Yeah. One of the reasons why you may have said that is because we keep seeing this trend over and over again, where we are sort of doing free jazz almost or like free jazz light <laughs> and we're, we're we're messing with looseness of time but here i appreciate whirlwind because they do sort of eventually after a minute or, or so go into a well-defined feel and time and groove and so this sort of mashes those two ideas together i think better than other examples of what this tune is going for so I, I really do see what you're saying with whirlwind, but I think it's much better than balance of time. I mean, I, I really, I really just did not get much out of that, that track balance of time. And interestingly, they've been playing whirlwind along with Empress afternoon on the real jazz serious XM channel quite a bit lately. So somebody must like whirlwind or, or something. I don't know. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's not to say that it's a bad, and I don't think our not so hot necessarily have to be tunes that are not good. Um, but to me, it just seems like there's other tracks on the album that are way more intriguing. And like I said, it could have gone, um, a number of different ways. I think balance of time, we both kind of have things that, you know, stick out to us about that soon, but yeah, yeah, I don't, it's not that it's a bad tune. It's just not as not up to the standard of some of the other really awesome compositions on the, on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little bit in the sense that it's more of the same, not from this particular group, just just from some modern jazz trends that I'm seeing, and so yep. it doesn't it doesn't hit as hard uh, as as maybe they originally intended. I think that might be what that's a great point there. I think that might be what it is. It's not that it's not different from the rest of the album, but it just feels kind of a lot like what we get a lot of in the modern jazz landscape, and I think maybe that's where I'm getting a little. Like it doesn't intrigue me as much as some of the other things, which feel a little bit more fresh and intriguing. But let's go ahead and uh, and get into our overall thoughts and our ratings for this album. I'll go ahead and go go first on this, and then we'll let Max go second. Um, my overall synopsis of the album, my thoughts, is that Artemis's sophomore album in real time is a modern recording that does well in blending many great aspects of jazz from the past to the present. There are some standout moments on the album and some fantastic musicianship from the different members of the band. There is an obvious great chemistry amongst the band, which is well represented in their approach to solos throughout the album, often quoting the end of the solo prior. And each player's approach to solos does a great job of fitting into the mold of the composition that has given. And I applaud Artemis for that. 
Songs such as Bow and Arrow, Lights Away from Home, and Empress Afternoon really stand out in the modern jazz landscape, giving us great elements of the jazz language and paying homage to the past. Bow and Arrow is a daring modal composition that elicits feelings of great post-bop compositions akin to those of Coltrane. And Empress Afternoon features some of the best solo work on the album and is a joy to listen to from start to finish. The rhythm section of Artemis continually stands out to me on this recording. They are thoughtful, great listeners, and super well-connected throughout the album. This really shines through on Empress Afternoon with both Renee and Allison's solos on the track, which are both masterful. The horn section also does a great job throughout the album with both interesting and thought-provoking solos as well as their playing of the melodies on this album. This is evident from the get-go with their playing of the rounded melodies in Slink and continues through to tracks like the melody on Timber, which is so unique and stands out to me as much as any on the album. There are certain points on the album that seem to lose one's attention a little bit and do not do as much as other parts of the album to keep the listener engaged. While certain songs such as Empress Afternoon and Bow and Arrow are exciting compositions that stand out to me, there are parts of the album that are forgettable and not up to par with previously mentioned tracks. The song that leaves me most puzzled is Balanced of Time, as it just does not seem to add that much and is placed in a weird place on the album. Overall, In Real Time is a successful second album from Artemis with some great compositions and musicianship. There are a few uh, tracks that I find myself coming back to and a few that won't find a spot on my regular playlist. I do applaud the reverence for so many different aspects of the jazz language, which is obvious in the different styles of songs and compositional aspects. I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking about this album again when Grammy season rolls around this year. And my overall score for this album is a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah, well said. I, I would concur with a lot of that. I think uh, the album In Real Time features a brand of modern jazz that is mostly palatable and appreciated. The same cannot necessarily be said of other modern recordings. There is an enjoyable amount of solo features from everyone in the ensemble, including rhythm section players, in addition to saxophonist Nicole Glover and Alexa Tarantino. Trumpeter Ingrid Jensen also shines on a few numbers as well. Pianist Rini Rosnes leads the band of misfits, just kidding, and seems to be a uh, seems to do a fine job as the group's musical director. Drummer Allison Miller and the bassist Noriko Ueda are a treat to listen to throughout the album. Everyone contributes nicely to this outing in a number of ways. Allison Miller's bow and arrow and Noriko's lights away from home are standout compositions from this eight-track release. Allison's drum solo on her song, in addition to her feature on Rini Rosnes's Empress Afternoon, are highlights from the album. I was both exceedingly pleased and pleasantly surprised by Allison's contributions here. She is a consistently interesting player throughout the record. Noriko delivers solid time and interesting solos on Artemis's sophomore release, too. She is another pleasant surprise here. The opening tune entitled Slink from Lyle Mays features a very slinky arrangement where horns and the piano intermingle in an out in an in and out fashion as the saxophone and trumpet play melodies that coincide with the piano ostinato, but not in a predictable way. The syncopated hits towards the end of the melody are a nice touch as well. Rini's solo on that track goes a lot 
uh, of different places and works to feature her soloistic dexterity too. Trumpeter Ingrid Jensen has an extended feature on Wayne Shorter's Penelope that is unique as it is played as a rubato introduction along with Rini Rosnes's uh, piano playing. His muted, or sorry, her muted trumpet sound has a hint of Miles Davis, which effectively alludes to their tribute of the great Wayne Shorter and perhaps his time with Miles. Tenor saxophonist Nicole Glover has quite a few solos on the album, with her best feature being her solo on Whirlwind. It builds nicely and takes the song to an intense climax. Nicole's playing reminds me a bit of Melissa Aldana. They have a similar tone and seemingly similar melodic tendencies. Multi-instrumentalist Alexa Tarantino contributes nicely as well on both alto sax and flute in many instances. Speaking of Alexa, the start of her tune, Whirlwind, follows the seeming trend of playing a melody of introductory idea without defined time. In general, this is occurring in a number of new jazz compositions, and it's starting to get predictable and a little bit unimaginative. I'm glad they don't play the whole tune that way, and they actually move into a nice feel in three. Like the beginning of Whirlwind, Balance of Time and Timber are two compositions here that are not easily digestible. The instrumental layering of Timber, in addition to its opening, is interesting, yet it makes for maybe one too many dramatic song introductions. Rini's Balance of Time seems to give off a Philip Glass classical minimalism vibe, and it grows increasingly annoying as the track progresses. I'm once again at a loss as to why. Elements of modern jazz composition go in this direction. Classical music has always had an influence on many jazz performers, yet it typically has made an indirectly subtle influence. Here, it smacks you across the face so hard you need ibuprofen. I also despise the song's creepy ending. It's incomplete and leaves much more to be desired. Despite a couple of these overly salted compositions, Artemis has provided an interestingly impactful second album. The ensemble clearly has a great musical chemistry, and the fact that each member of this all-woman powerhouse group are featured extensively is a testament to the leadership of Rini Rosnes and the camaraderie and respect each member must have for one another. I am looking forward to hearing more from Artemis, and most of this album is worth a deep dive. Just watch out for those moments that may leave a bad taste in your mouth. Overall score is 7.2 out of 10. Yeah, and you make some some great points there. And Max, that brings our um, our overall Jazz Jam score for this album at a 7.4 out of 10. Definitely worth a listen, and there's some really awesome stuff. You definitely be would be missing out on some really cool things if you didn't listen to this album. So definitely uh, give it a listen hear what we have to say about it and maybe form your own opinion. And that's not to say that you might enjoy some of the stuff that's going on. It's not to say that everything we're saying is right. All of this is just our opinion. Um, and we are very, we have a certain way of thinking about music and we're definitely maybe more focused on swing and groove and certain elements of jazz. So we understand if you like it and we might not, but that's what we're here for to tell you what we like and what we think about certain things. So and, you know, just as a reminder, we are coming from a background of of both performing jazz music and listening to a lot of it and, and you know, really getting in the weeds about the jazz tradition. 
And so I, I think that's another element to where we're coming from. You know, there, there's a, there's always more to learn. And, and I'm certainly just sort of in the beginnings of, of my development, you know, I, I'm professionally playing, but there's a lot more I want to do. There's more directions I want to go. And, and so I'm always listening and learning as I'm sure many, uh, listeners, you know, many members of our audience are doing that too. Um, but I, you know, there's validity in, in what we're talking about and there's reasons behind it. And, you know, we're, we're going to try and do more analysis and, and, and in-depth, um, sort of critiques of all different varieties of the music we call jazz. And so I'm looking forward to that. And our next album we're going to do is going to be a classic jazz album. That's going to get both Dwayne and I really excited. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, that episode of the Jazz Jam podcast. We're going to get into two players that are deeply influential to me and Dwayne. The album called Groovin' with Jug. It's a 1961 live recording from the Pacific Jazz label. It features organist Richard Groove Holmes and saxophonist Gene Jug Ammons. Gene Ammons, one of my ultimate favorites. And Groove Holmes, one of Dwayne's ultimate favorites. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm extremely looking forward to that. Um, I think I, we probably have at least four songs from this album in our set list that we routinely call um, just a great recording. And I want to go back to something that Max said, which I think is a really good point, is that on this podcast, we not, we're not just going to listen to albums like Groovin' with Jug that we know that we love. We want to check out all kinds of things because we wouldn't be doing ourselves any favors if we just listen to music we know we like or things that aren't going to stretch us musically. So it's great for us to listen to these things. And one thing that we always have aimed for and we kind of said from the very beginning is that we're not going to shy away from saying how we feel. There's lots of critics that just say nice things about something because it's on Blue Note, because it's on whatever record label. Um, and we made a point not to do that there's no one paying us to say nice things saying us paying us anything to say anything so we're gonna say how we truly feel about it um so yeah I well think that's, I, yeah i was gonna say no one's paying us yet yeah and we're yeah, always yeah. <laughs> and even <laughs> if they start please. paying us we're still gonna say what we feel so you know we're exactly yeah so that's we're coming from a place of you know truly honest critiques um when something's great we'll say it's great if something we don't think is great we're gonna say that we don't think it's great so yeah it's uh one thing that we love about this podcast we really get to say how we feel about things and i'm yeah i'm so excited for this album next week just a truly incredible album groove holmes is probably my favorite organ player jimmy smith is the goat um undoubtedly but i'm so excited to get into this one next week so definitely uh definitely stick with us and and check that one out we're gonna get into things that we're gonna get really excited about and i'm i know me personally i mean jug he is one of my ultimate favorites he's nicknamed jug uh because of of his big head he had and and you know there's some stories behind that one of the ultimate chicago saxophonists um so there's a lot to get into and uh there's a lot more to come so please Continue to listen to us, rate, subscribe, follow, do all those things. Yeah, and definitely check out our website as well. It's linked in the show notes. It's a super cool place to go and look. You can 
If you don't have time to listen to a specific episode, you can just click on that episode, see what we thought about it, see what we rated it. Maybe you want to check out the album. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want to check out that episode of the podcast. Maybe you don't. But it's just a really good place where you can go and just see kind of everything we've done get an idea of what's going on. We have a really cool power rankings list that has every episode we've ever done. And we've got our ratings for each album and kind of a list from, you know, the top to the bottom of what we've rated things. So just a really cool uh, tool for you to use when you're thinking about new albums and looking into to things that we've talked about on the podcast. So definitely go check that out. And yeah, just looking forward to next week and looking forward to this entire year. We've got so many more episodes coming out. If you have any albums that you're really digging that you want to suggest to us, our email is in the description. You can reach out to us on Instagram, the Jazz Jam Podcast on Instagram. On our website, you can submit it there. There's so many ways to reach out to us. So if you have a suggestion, any ideas, any comments, please reach out to us. We love hearing that stuff and um definitely looking forward to to the episodes upcoming and want to thank everyone for listening this has been an episode of the jazz jam podcast i'm your co-host Dwayne gunnels joined by my co-host max levy the award-winning max levy um this has been an episode of the jazz jam podcast <laughs> thanks for listening y'all <laughs>